The Christmas season is awesome. I, I, I love the Advent season. I love coming to the end of the year and taking time to reflect on the most glorious, most glorious story ever, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it forces us, this annual rhythm, to be confronted with the awe-inspiring reality of the Incarnation. That Jesus Christ came in the likeness of human flesh and for us. It's a beautiful thing. It's the rescue plan that started all the way back in Genesis. Sometimes we fail to realize this, that the Christmas story doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. It began all the way back in the garden. Actually predates the garden. Because this was a plan from before the foundation of the world. God designed it to be this way. But that promise uh, of the serpent crusher in Genesis chapter 3 finds its climactic implementation in the birth and the incarnation of Jesus Christ and of course his life, death, and resurrection. As I stated, sometimes we get so familiar with the story it just we kind of go through the motions and the busyness of buying gifts and Christmas parties and, and buying gifts and, you know, elephant Christmas exchanges or white elephant, I don't know what they're called, something like that. Something with an elephant. Greek elephant? What? Okay, now those are strange practices. We don't do those things here. But, <laughs> but we don't want to tune out the Christmas story during this time because we maybe are a little bit familiar with it. Because it's the most amazing story of God invading human history in the form of a tiny, helpless baby. When God promised to crush the serpent all the way back in the garden and free humanity from the curse, who would have imagined that this is the way He would have done it? How He would free humanity from the birth of a baby. And it sounds crazy. Frankly, maybe some of you used to think it was pretty foolish. Certainly a lot of people in our world think, what a foolish story. You actually believe this is what God did to save the world? He became a baby to go through the human experience then to die on a cross? But yes, that is exactly what we believe. But it's foolishness to them. Paul writing to the church at Corinth rightly states that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. You'll find that in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Again, it defies logic, it defies comprehension, it defies how you and I would design this. If someone said to you, well, how would you rescue humanity from their sin? None of us would say, I'd become a baby. Let me shrink myself down to a tiny little fragile little baby the opposite of the wisdom of the world. This is why the Christmas story is a wisdom story. We just finished seven months studying all the wisdom themes and proverbs and immersing ourselves in the wisdom of God, studying the, the divine personification of wisdom that Solomon gave his sons in a lady wisdom and how all of these things foreshadowed and pointed to Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God, which is what God's Word tells us. Wisdom of God made manifest in Jesus Paul states that in 1 Corinthians, that Christ is the wisdom of God. But then he also states that Christ is also wisdom from God. He is wisdom, and he came to us as wisdom. God's power and wisdom are supremely manifest in the life, death, teachings, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul writing to the church at Colossae says, In Christ are hidden all of the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. Think about that. And how did all these treasures of wisdom and knowledge come to us? The most remarkable way possible, in the most mind-blowing way possible, in the incarnation of the Son of God. So let's take a moment to appreciate some of the wisdom that is contrary to the world's wisdom by just inspecting a few details uh, of the beauty and wisdom of the Christmas story, things we are familiar with. And we're going to go to Luke's account in the second chapter of Luke, and we're going to read from verses 8 through 20. Here is the Christmas story. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told this is the word of the Lord. Now just reading portions of this story causes me to just find some of these things so contrary to the way we think in this world, to the perspective of the world. I'm especially thinking of, of, of the message here, the marketing message, right? If you begin to look at this. Because here the angel, angel tells them that he's proclaiming the greatest news ever. Peace. Christ the Lord, the promised Messiah, he's here, he's come, he's here right now, and you get to go be witnesses of this and see them. Now, a message like that, you'd want to go viral. Right? All, all YouTube, social media influencers, what do they want? They create content so that it would go viral, so that more eyeballs and more people get to see and hear the message that they want to put out. So you'd want to think, if the angels wanted this message to go viral, where would this message be broadcast? Well, I would say probably one of the places with most people, like a large city. How about Jerusalem? Man, they should have been waiting for the Messiah there. But even greater impact, go to the capital of the Roman Empire, go to Rome, and just broadcast this a big, big sky riding in the sky, right? Something just massive message, great news, the Messiah's born, he's over there in Bethlehem, go check him out. That's how a message would go viral, but that's not what happens here. No big city, no medium-sized city, not even a small town. This angel goes to some backwater area with some smelly shepherds tending the sheep, 
a handful of them, proclaims this glorious message there. How crazy is that? We bring the message to the elite. Didn't bring the message to the most powerful people, social media influencers. He didn't bring this message to the religious leaders who could have rapidly spread this message that the Messiah that they'd long awaited for had finally arrived. But no, the angel appears to shepherds. Where is the wisdom in that? Where is the logic in that? How does this, on any level that we can think of, make sense and we've got the greatest message being brought to humanity. It sounds foolish. It's like present day the angels showing up and instead of going to New York City and putting signs up, digital billboards on Times Square or to Los Angeles or, or to, to some of the largest cities on this planet, goes to some rural cattle area of Wyoming or Montana and just shows up to a couple of cowboys out there. That, that's what's happening in this story and it's crazy. So the angel appears to them, and as you can imagine, they soil their undergarments. And you would too. All right, let's, let's be real here. This is an angel of the Lord showing up. How often does an angel of the Lord show up? Not very often. Certainly not as much as some people claim that these angels show up. Right? A glorious angel who stands in the very throne room of God before the presence of God now shows up in all of this glory of heaven this handful of angels, and of course, they're afraid. Stinky, lonely shepherds, unclean by religious standards, get to behold the glory of God. It says the glory of God shone around them. We can't even imagine that. We can't even begin to comprehend what that must have, that experience must have been like in that, in that moment. It's a terrifying scene. So they're afraid, and the angel, of course, says to them, fear not, because Come with good news. Thank God it was good news, right? Then the angel says, here's the proof that the good news that I'm bringing to you is true. There is a sign. There is a sign that's going to indicate to you guys that the baby is the promised one. Now, presumably they would have known what the angel was talking about. Because all good Jewish children learn... The messianic prophecies, especially the one from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The angel is saying, this is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy that all of you know, Isaiah's prophecy. You're well aware of it. It's finally happening. It's here. Now that word sign there, in, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the original language that this was written in, refers to something supernatural. Not, not something ordinary, it's actually something supernatural that's in view here. Something that no one could miss. Think of signs in the Old Testament. The parting of the Red Sea, that, that, that's a pretty impressive sign, isn't it? Water flowing from a rock. Think of Christ rising from the dead. Like These are supernatural events. Things that upend the natural order of the world, right? That's a sign. Those are compelling evidences and proof of, of something marvelous here. And what's the sign that the angel tells them to look for that this baby is the Messiah? Was it some astronomical phenomenon? 
Like the stars, like just coming all together and just spelling out his name in the heavens. J T S U S. That wasn't the sign at all, was it? In fact, doesn't seem to have been anything supernatural at all. Because none of this here is, is in our humanity something we consider wisdom. Because it wasn't something supernatural in that sign, it was actually something quite ordinary. The birth of a baby. Now, to you who've had children, you'd say, no, the birth of my child is miraculous. Yeah, but it's happened billions of times, right? <laughs> it is ordinary. It happens every day. Something ordinary happened here. A baby wrapped in swallowing cloths and lying in a manger. That's the sign. That's the sign. Now, the world exalts those who have fame, have uh, notoriety, wield some sort of power, prestige, people of extraordinary wealth. And these are the people that are propped up in high esteem in our world, in our culture. Uh, they're followed by entourages, lots of pomp, lots of ceremony surrounding many of them. Right? So you'd think this is the birth of the Messiah. It had to be something like that. I don't know if you've ever followed the birth of a, a, a royal baby, right? Like, like, in, like in the UK. A little baby's born. That is a huge spectacle. Like there's a lot of people back in the day who used to witness this. I had read some stories of when the queen would be giving birth uh, to a baby. She didn't just do it with like the midwives and a couple of people. Like everybody showed up to witness this thing. This private personal moment. Right? Labor the screams, the agony, and all that, they weren't by themselves. People from the royal court would all show up to witness because it was something remarkable. It was something special. And then the message would go out through the kingdom to broadcast it. So you think that's what we would have here. But the sign that God chose to signify is coming to earth that heralded the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah, especially of the Son, who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, was a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, flying in a manger. How could something so ordinary, something so commonplace as the birth of a baby be a sign from God? And even though Bethlehem was not uh, a big town was small, but most likely Jesus wasn't the only baby born that night. Have you ever thought about that? Probably wasn't the only baby in the hospital. We know he wasn't in the hospital, right? But it's, yeah, it's a baby. Listen for a crying baby. Listen for a newborn. But why did God choose to enter the human race this way? There's the wisdom in that. Why aren't these other details of swallowing cloths and a manger also part of the sign? Now, we know because we're good Bible students that if it's in the Bible and those, those details have been given to us, they matter, right? They mean something. They're important. They're part of the message God is bringing, this good news. And in all of this, it displays the wisdom of God. Jesus could have come to earth in any of a number of ways, in any circumstance of the Father's choosing. He could have come like Kal-El, right? His little, little spaceship, like just great sonic boom, just flash across the sky, land on this earth, and he's Superman, and, you know, everybody knows it. He's flying around doing his stuff. Could have chosen any way to do this, but he doesn't do that. He 
because of that, you and I cannot afford to miss the glory and majesty and wisdom of the humble, ordinary, lowly birth of the Messiah. Now, we know God's people were looking for the Messiah. For centuries, they had followed along with these prophecies. For thousands of years, since the promise of the serpent crusher, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the rescue. And Michael reminds us here that they already knew that the Messiah would be born in this little town of Bethlehem. Not an important town, very insignificant town, but that's where Messiah would come. So why did God's people recognize it? When the message did finally get out a little bit further, beyond the shepherds, beyond Joseph and Mary and their immediate family, why, why didn't they believe? Why didn't they trust the message here? Well, I think we have a lot of reasons, but we know that they missed the sign because they were looking for Messiah's coming, but they wanted something radically different than what God had said he would bring. They were looking for Messiah with worldly eyes with worldly wisdom, from a worldly perspective, for what they wanted out of Messiah. They overlooked the divine, the word made flesh, and this ordinary, fragile baby, because they were looking for a Messiah that was more political in nature. They wanted something sensational. They wanted something earth-shaking and nation-toppling. A political savior who would overthrow the chains of Roman oppression and rule. They wanted a sign based on their notion and wisdom of what salvation, freedom, and deliverance would look like for them. But that's not the sign that God gave them. He didn't give them the sign that they were looking for. And that's the way it is today. People want a sign. They want a sign to know that God is real. They want a sign to know something that would be definitive proof that God exists. They want a sign to know that there is actually meaning and purpose in life. They want a sign to know if, if these exclusive claims of Christ is the only way are valid and true. People want a sign. But most people want a sign that affirms what they've already believed to be true. It's something that just lines up with what they already know. But God has already given the sign, hasn't he? Christmas story unveils that sign for all of humanity, and you and I cannot afford to miss it. Now, I want to look at three things that these, this sign about the birth of Christ reveals about the infinite superior wisdom of God in this Christmas story. The first is the wisdom of his humanity. Again, you will find what? A baby. A baby. Not some demigod. Not some god. He just says you're going to find a baby. Christ came into the world just like you and I have come into the world. No difference, right? Even though his conception was miraculous, right? A virgin uh, birth, right? His physical birth was completely normal. Guess what God did not do? God did not beam him out of Mary's womb. Right? The story is messy. If we take it out of the, you know, the nice elementary school Christmas plays and stuff like that. Those of you who have experienced the pains of childbirth, who have witnessed childbirth, know it is not just something simple, sweet, and easy. 
This is what Jesus experienced coming into this world. He was born the normal way. Just like everyone else. That brings us face to face with the truth of the incarnation. This God, the divine, comes to us as humanity. Fully and truly God from all eternity, the divine son takes on true humanity when he was conceived and born that day in Bethlehem. And in some way that is mysterious to us, Jesus becomes the God-man. Two natures joined together in his one person, fully God and fully man. In fact, 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes this, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now as he start, he was manifested in the flesh. But that's a mystery. You and I can't even begin to comprehend that. God, the greatest being in all, in all of existence in the universe, the king of glory, who was and is and is to come, became, added on to himself, humanity, the nature of humans. That's what he did. And in that he becomes Emmanuel, God with us. And why did he do that? Well, we know. He entered humanity to save us, to rescue us, to provide for our salvation. It's the central truth of Christianity. It's what we believe. If Christ had not been born as a man, he could not have died for our sins. He had to become like us in order to save us. So that's what this passage tells us. The Lord of heaven, the Lord of glory, the one who would save his people from all of their sins, enters earth as a tiny baby to accomplish the will of God. It's mind-blowing. It's not the wisdom of the world. But it's what Scripture declares. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Well, answers that question right off the bat. Why did he have to come as, as, as a man, as humans? Because that's what we are. In order to save us, he had to become like us and partake of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's a mouthful. There's a lot there, which we don't have time to explore. But the main thing I want you to see in there is he had to become like us in order to save us. He took on our nature because our nature was the sin nature. Our nature was the one that rebelled against God. That's what humanity did in the garden. From the fall forward, all we have done is sin. And we do that because of our sin nature. So him coming to make a sacrifice for our sins, he had to come as a man to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is a fancy word, but it means to appease the wrath of God. To, 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 to appease the, the righteous requirements of God's law of, of the penalty of sin, the payment of sin, the wages of sin, which we know is what? Death. He makes propitiation for the sins of his people as man. The second thing I want you to see is the wisdom of his helplessness. 
He was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, we already know newborns are helpless, right? Yes? They can't live on their own. They can't do anything on their own. Okay? They're dependent on their mother. They're dependent on their father. They're dependent on others to take care of them. But in that day, newborn babies were wrapped in, in strips of cloth. They call them swaddling cloths. To, to protect them from the harsh environments. They'd wrap the arms. They'd wrap the legs. They'd wrap the torso really tightly. That baby looked like a mummy. Basically. But it was a harsh environment. And this was just some crude form of protection. You know, there, there was no, no hospitals, right? There were, there were no birthing units, birthing centers. There were no 24-hour clinics. Right? But you have to protect a little baby from the harsh elements. And uh, this is the way they do it. They wrap them in swaddling cloths. It's not cruel. It's just what they had to do. But what does this binding of Jesus tell us? What is the wisdom being projected through this portion. The reality is that this wrapping Jesus in swaddling cloths foreshadows another time. Years later, where Jesus would be bound again. He's bound again as he stood before the Jewish authorities. He stood before his accusers with his hands tied. At his death, what did they do? They wrapped him in strips of cloth, in burial cloths. In fact, Luke 23, 53 tells us that he was taken down and wrapped in a linen shroud. Jesus entered the world as he would leave it. Bound. Wrapped. He entered as a helpless baby and in human wisdom we look at his death and find him helpless at his end. This picture of Jesus being wrapped is also a picture of of the human condition. Because it's how we find ourselves apart from Christ. Bound. We find ourselves bound up as slaves to sin and death. And we, like a baby, are helpless. How so? We're helpless to do anything about our situation. You are helpless to free yourself from the bondage you are in. I am helpless to free myself from the bondage I am in. We're all helpless. Every one of us is born a son of Adam, dead in our trespass and sins. None are born righteous. None are born with the capacity to become righteous of their own. We cannot rescue ourselves. We try. We try really hard, but we will never be successful. We're helpless to loosen ourselves to that which enslaves us. This angel appears to these shepherds first because they represented who Jesus came to save. Rebels and sinners. I don't know if you knew this about shepherds in that day. We have these nice little pictures of shepherds. But these were rugged looking, looking dudes. They weren't very godly men, most of them. In fact, they had a reputation for being dishonest. By religious rites, they were unclean. These were not you know, godly people. You know, you wouldn't consider them that. Rebels, outcasts, sinners. Helpless to do anything about their condition. And that's who Jesus came to save. But Jesus himself, he was bound. And he was helpless. To what end? To eventually set us free from the things that bind us. Third, let's look at the wisdom of his humility. In the third part of the sign. Find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying where? 
five-star hotel in the manger. Now, we get our concept of the manger, right, from, you know, maybe our, the nativity scenes under our tree or something like that, or in Christmas plays, and, you know, we, we have this idea that they were these just kind of, I mean, they were made of wood, they're kind of rustic looking, you know, kind of like in our picture over here, um, but that's not really the view of the manger, the scene of the manger at all. Um, most of these things are not good representations of what it actually looked like. We're talking about the first century here. In the first century, stables were nothing more typically of just a bunch of stones put in a circle. And animals would be kept inside of that. And sometimes it was built around the side of a hill. And uh, the trough, which is the manger, was actually a piece of stone that was hewn down. And that's where the feed was placed for the animals to feed. Nothing cozy, nothing comfortable. Nothing with a nice little burlap sack and hay and, you know, how nice. Oh, he must have been just comfy and warm in that. I don't know. That's not the picture, right? It was a lonely, dirty, smelly place. He was laid, laying on this stone hewn from a slab of rock. It's a powerful foreshadowing, once again, in the wisdom of God of another time, the time of his death. On that day... When he died, where was he laid? Laid in a tomb made out of what? Hewn out of stone, hewn out of a rock. Laying on a slab. Luke 23, 53, let's read that whole part. He took it down, took the body of Jesus down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. Here's why we can't have a sanitized view of Christmas. The one thing that looms large over the manger scene is the cross, the bloody cross of Calvary. We want to focus on the baby, but the baby didn't remain a baby, did he? The baby was born to die. The baby was taken from that one piece of stone, and at the end of his life was placed on another. The bloody scene of the cross reminds us of the reality of Christmas here. This baby that was lying forgotten by those who were ex supposedly expecting him, exposed in this the harsh elements in this stable, the one who was not welcomed into the world in a manner befitting of his royal status as king of the universe, the one found by these shepherds, where was he? Resting in a feeding trough. This is the sign that God says... These shepherds are to look for. And he came in the most unlikeliest of ways. Where is the wisdom in any of this? Well, it's not our wisdom, is it? It's not our wisdom at all. He came in the most unlikeliest of ways, and he comes in this humility. Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. There's nothing about this baby that was this sign that appeared supernatural. Nothing screamed Messiah by looking at this baby lying in the manger. No halo around his head. The Magi didn't arrive until much later. You can take them out of your nativity scene. They didn't show up there. You know this. There were no angels. Isn't this astonishing that no angels were visible 
there in this Christmas scene. No choirs of angels sing. The shepherds get to enjoy the angelic choir. This handful of shepherds out on the backside of a hill get to hear this multitude of the heavenly host glorifying God and singing praises. What do they see here at the birth of Jesus? Not that. Animal feed and animal dung. <coughs> Zechariah gets to see an angel in the temple. Mary gets to see an angel when she's told that she would conceive. The angels appear to the shepherds, but no angel at the place of Christ's birth. If you've been there, if you've witnessed these, this scene, you would have concluded that this was just a baby born like any other day to a poor young couple. Nothing to see here. You know, move along. There's nothing special here. Nothing about the outward circumstances pointed to God. I just find this to be the oddest of signs in our human wisdom. Nothing God does makes sense to our human mind, to our human reasoning. We can't comprehend it. For sure none of us would have crafted Messiah's coming this way, the way that God orchestrated. Now we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus is Messiah. We know his life, death, and resurrection secures for us deliverance and salvation. So what is our takeaway from this Knowing that this is about the wisdom of God, not our wisdom and how we would have saved ourselves. But I find it profoundly reassuring that behind the Christmas story is a God of unparalleled wisdom. Because if it was left to our designs to figure out how to rescue ourselves, we are doomed. We do not have a chance. We have no shot in any of this. But it's reassuring that it's the wisdom of God that reigns supreme here. That we have a God who does what He wants. We have a God who doesn't need to ask us for counsel. Hey guys, how do you think I should do it? What do you guys think? I'm, I'm kind of thinking of doing this, and the son as a baby. You know, how's that sound to you guys? Oh, we would have rejected that, right? We want a superhero. Yeah, we want the Avengers. That, that's not what we got here. We got a baby. From our limited perspective, his ways make no sense at all. But that's comforting. And that's okay. Because in this Christmas story, guess what we're reminded of? That he is God and we are not. His ways are not our ways, nor his thoughts our thoughts. God's unsurprising sign is a baby wrapped in strips of cloth resting in a feeding trough in a cave behind an inn with a no vacancy sign. From a worldly perspective, not a very likely beginning for a movement that we know would change the world. His humanity, helplessness, and humility were a rebuke to those who were seeking outward glory, who wanted it their way, right? To those who despised the small things. But here he was, God's appointed sign, the one who would save his people from his sins. Now whether you know this or not, or most of humanity knows this or not, all of us are on this lifelong journey of wisdom. We want to know why we exist. 
We want to know this purpose and meaning. We want to know that this matters. We want to know why we're here. We want to make sense of the world. Everyone is on a wisdom quest. Now, sadly, there's some people who think that they have found that. They think that they are wise. But there is no wisdom apart from Jesus Christ. There is no way to know true wisdom, and no wisdom can be found apart from Jesus Christ. These existential questions that everyone is looking for, everyone is trying to figure out and find out, have no viable answer outside or apart from Jesus Christ. And that's why the Christmas story is a wisdom story. This is why we need to know it and embrace it and see it. That night, those who should have known better missed the sign. Now, it's not wisdom, that's foolishness. To deny Christ, to deny who He is, to, to deny the, the salvation account here and God's rescue plan is the epitome of foolishness, not wisdom. And the world still misses this sign today. Is humanity, helplessness, and humility remind us of the simplicity of the gospel. For in the gospel, we're told of our sin-sick condition. We don't know it apart from that. We don't fully realize that apart from the reality of coming to grips with this, that Christ came. Why did he have to be born as a baby? Because we're sinners. Because we're hopelessly lost without him. Because apart from him, we would never know the wisdom of God. We'd never be able to behold the wisdom that has come from God to rescue us and to save us. Could not know it. The gospel tells us that God's remedy for our condition is Christ. And the gospel summons us to repent and believe Jesus. To trust in Jesus. This wisdom from God. The sign that God rescues rebels and saves sinners. The humanity, helplessness, and humility of Christ's coming declares the vast superiority of God's wisdom. That's what I want you to see in the Christmas story. God did for us what we could have never done for ourselves. Not the brightest minds that ever existed in this world could have rescued us. The collective wisdom of all of humanity, whoever was, is now, or ever will be, could never have rescued us. Only in the wisdom of God can we be rescued through Christ. And my prayer... My prayer is that this story of Christ's birth would remind us of our desperate need of a Savior. That this incarnation story would remind us that God's ways are not ours. That the wisdom of God is vastly superior to our wisdom. Where we think we might know better, we need the wisdom of God, the wisdom that's found in Christ. And that this story of Emmanuel, God with us, would remind us of His great mercy. For God, knowing that our greatest need was this rescue, he sent us a baby. And that baby would grow in wisdom, and eventually he would lay down his life for rebels and sinners like you and me. And in his death, he'd be returned to the place where he started. He laid on a stone. Brothers and sisters, I pray that when we come to the Christmas story, when we look at it, when we talk to our kids about it, we don't just leave it at the little baby. 
This is something so far greater than that. The wisdom of God is wrapped up in all of that. It's for our salvation. It's for His glory that Christ came and triumphed over sin, death, and the grave for our salvation. And may our response today be like that of the shepherds who having laid their eyes on Jesus, the one that they were told about, they laid their eyes on the wisdom from God. What does it say they did? They returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. May that be what we be found doing on this Christmas day.